nothing. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Squat Cobbler, episode 70. Not quite Betty White numbers yet. I am Mike at Official Pagan on Everything, and joining me as always. Hi, everybody. This is Kelly at K E L L Y T H U L on Twitter and Instagram. For any of you guys who don't know, Kelly and I have been doing these prisoner exchanges where we introduce the other to an album that's important to us that the other one might not be familiar with. And we go track by track through the album like we did with our Alice Cooper reviews. But one of us knows and loves this album and it's relatively new to the other one. So today I exposed myself to Kelly with October Rust from Typo Negative. Do you want to jump into the artwork or do a top line reaction first? Top line reaction, you know, we have been wondering when is the recommendation going to come from one of us we're like eh, i'm not a big fan it's not this one <laughs> i'm good i i enjoyed this i do think much like trout mass replica from captain beefheart this is one that i think i start to like more and more the more i go through it i haven't had the opportunity to cycle through it as much as i would have liked but overall again it, this is something I was very unfamiliar with in terms of a group and all that. It, this was a good listen. Some some very interesting moments in the album and something I wouldn't have come across without your recommendation. So thanks. And overall, I have a positive reaction. I, I was worried for a second there. The way you did the setup, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> This is going to be the one. Nope, it wasn't. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that you liked it. This, this is an album that I really love. And Typo Negative is sort of an interesting band for me. So they have their roots in metal and hardcore. And then, you know, with lineup changes and going in different directions, they went into more of like a goth, doomy metal kind of thing with under the name Typo Negative and started to get a lot of success that way. And October Rust is actually their second best selling album, the one that most people really get into is an album called bloody kisses which is their most successful personally i like october rust a little bit more some people aren't as into it because it is made up largely of ballads and comparatively is not as heavy as the records that came before it. it's a record that i really like though and from a personal standpoint because we've been talking a lot about live music to me typo negative was one of the greatest live bands uh, one of the greatest shows I've ever been to was every year Typo Negative would have a big Halloween party show in Philadelphia, where I'm from. Going to those Halloween parties, uh, one of those in particular was the one of, if not the best show I've ever seen. And they were one of the best live bands that I had ever seen. So they're a band I really like. A little divisive for some people, and particularly, like I said, this album, because it's not as heavy as some of the stuff that had come before it. Uh, you don't know that, though, because you're not familiar with the band. So what did you think of the artwork, sir? I liked it quite a bit. I mean, a pretty, pretty creative cover, photographic, thorns, black and green, definitely eye-catching. So you, know, you had that moment with the cover to kind of do something to capture. I don't know 100% on alignment with the music within, but this is definitely something that's going to catch your eye. So Typo Negative for their album, they're known for their album covers and particularly their first few albums had some interesting distinctive artwork on them particularly their album slow deep and hard if you look at it in a rorschach kind of way and stare at it or more of a magic eye photo sort of way it's a blurry indecipherable image at first and the more you stare at it you start to figure out what it is pretty quickly so this is compared to what had come before it a tame sort of step back of an album cover the thorns and all but i really liked it especially when it first came out i thought it was a really striking image there was a lot of stuff coming out at that time with like particularly in like rap music at that time there was a lot of like crazy over the top covers and to keep up on their own side with a lot of rock and metal bands were discovering photoshop or using weird gimmicky 
you know, 3D lenticular packaged covers and things like that. So something that was simple and kind of stark and especially something that was in extreme contrast to what this band had done before. I thought it was a really good cover. So do you want to get straight into the tracks? I know you like to kind of take us off on the tangents right away, but I will try and focus this evening. So if you'd like to begin with the tracks, I am fine with that. Okay, so we'll see if we can keep Kelly on (laughs) on path here. So the first track is titled Bad Ground, and it's essentially a joke on the listener to make it sound as if your speakers are not properly hooked up or not working correctly. Uh, What was your take on that, sir? So uh, my notes start off with, indeed, a bad ground, (laughs) you know, (laughs) And so I was like, oh, okay, so this is this is interesting start to it, which as we get into the next track, things get resolved immediately. But I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is a very accurately titled song because indeed this is a bad ground. <laughs> You're like, what the hell is he making me listen to? <laughs> this, this, you know, this, this was the moment it it passed. But I'm like, okay, could this could be the album that I tell Mike? Yeah, not such a big fan. <laughs> for any of the kids listening this album came out before the advent it was 1996 when this came out so before streaming music and ipods and things like that so the idea when you were listening to this on some sort of physical product was to give you the impression that your speakers were broken or that your physical copy of it was bad in some way also something that's worth noting so cds were the top format at the time that this came out and the band's concept behind this and i remember seeing interviews with them around that time where they talked about this and this is something that'll sort of come up throughout the album they came up with the idea of filling the entire cd of what was available on commercially stamped cds at the time not on duplicated discs but the actual Uh, foil stamped cds and they wanted to fill up the entire space that was available on a cd so that's why you get like an intro uh you get bad ground a little joke a little jokey intro but then they kind of play with that more they're the album overall has sort of a dark tone to it but the band themselves have a good sense of humor and that kind of plays out throughout it because there are some very long songs on here that just abruptly end as you go through of their way of sort of playing around with the idea that they had, you know, 73 or 74 minutes or whatever it is to fill the exact amount of time with. So as you go through it, certain tracks just seem to abruptly cut off and yet they still, you know, put in joke things like this. And that's sort of a sense of humor that runs through the album, which is one of the things I really liked about Typo Negative. So that brings us to that right after Bad Ground, there is a little spoken word segment of them explaining that your CD slash speakers are not broken that they were just playing a joke and then they proceed to downplay what you're about to hear on the album saying that they just took the money to make it to get high and mess around so what did you were you relieved when bad ground ended i appreciated the clarification (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people don't like the little spoken word thing but as kelly said you know appreciating the clarification i think that there were some people who would have just been confused by what bad ground was supposed to be without it. So I guess it serves its point. And I like the overall jokiness of it, of they're filling up the CD and cutting certain songs short, yet they still, you know, put this in there. So the first actual song that kicks off the album is the third track on the CD. And kids, you can go look up what CDs are. It's called Love You to Death. It was one of the singles off the album. There was a uh, video released for it. But the single version and video are significantly shorter than the seven minute plus album version of this. It's sort of like a a goth metal ballad 
basically, if you were a girl who shopped at Hot Topic in the 90s, this this song was your idea of like a romantic soundtrack. This was your Barry White that you would put on for some special alone time with your significant other. What did you think of this song, sir? Well, first, I'm incredibly impressed that you can channel your inner teen hot topic shopper <laughs> to kind of <laughs> capture that. Very impressive on that. So like this song, it starts off. So I'm I'm new to all of this and it, it begins to kick in and I go, oh, I, I'm getting kind of hints of uh, Gary Newman ish kind of sound at the very, very beginning hints of it. And then as the vocals first start off, start off, I go, I'm almost getting a psychotica vibe for a second. And then all of a sudden it revs up and becomes a typo negative uh, from there. And kind of they kind of own the space a little bit more. But it's a good song. A couple little hints of different kind of flavors to begin with. And then they kind of drive into their unique sound. I like this song quite a bit. Glad to hear that, sir. So the next song on the album, the second song, the fourth track is Be My Druidus. So what's a little bit different about the song from a typical typo negative song is particularly on the verses, there's some like groove metal elements to it without sort of stepping into the proto new metal sound that was starting to pop up before rap metal like took over in the tail end of the nineties and the beginning of two thousands. Like they never sound like that, but still managed to kind of work a groove into the verses, which they hadn't really done up until this point. Kelly's not familiar with them, so he doesn't know that, but that's unique to this track. So my notes start off with garage bandy bounce with distortion. So I think that's a little bit of that what you're talking about. Uh, and I believe this will be the last. There's also, again, a few hints of a Gary Newman vibe to it as well. I really love the underlying kind of guitar rift that holds us together quite a bit. I think it's really cool. The I'll do anything chorus punch <laughs> is nice. And, you know, and it has a thigh call out, which has become the hallmark of, of all Mike Belinsky recommendations. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. We're not talking about thighs. I probably didn't recommend it. Yeah, so the, that that's kind of a, a go-to for my actually, and I kind of went I went back and forth a little bit, but I basically decided this actually is my favorite song on the album. Interesting. So I actually have in my notes that I was going to ask you, and you brought it up, so it feels appropriate. the The refrain of the song would that be potential tattoo material for you? No, <laughs> I'm not going to say it because I don't, you know, don't want to get us hit with the explicit tag. Spoiler alert, though, there's a song coming up that may very well need a visit from Cobbler Wren. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you know which one it is. <laughs> yeah, Cobbler, Cobbler could check in. For, for I'm, our I'm not even going to go out of my way to be graphic about it. It's just you can't talk about it without getting the explicit tag. The way it goes. So I didn't do it. That's the important takeaway from that. <laughs> All right. So the next song on this album is Green Man. There's a little bit of a folky sort of influence that I hear on this song, which makes sense when you when you hear the title and you think sort of, you know, outdoorsy, folky elements. And the best of my knowledge off the top of my head, you'd never heard anything like that from Typo Negative prior to this. And again, this album isn't really, there's no really heavy or fast songs on there. It gets loud at points. But if you listen to some of their earlier stuff, and particularly the pre-typo negative stuff that members of this band were involved in, which were just straight metal and hardcore bands, this album in particular is a huge departure from where they had been going up until that point. So, you know, bringing in that little bit of folk element to it, if you're a longtime fan of these guys or even a fan of typo negative, it's a little bit jarring, but 
it fits in with the record really nicely, I think. So a lot of what, what you've said, uh, it's lyrically some cool moments. The autumn in her flaming dress kind of thing is very, very cool from a lyrical standpoint. It is very pastoral. And towards the, even there's almost a British invasion vibe to it a little bit, particularly at the very, very end. Kind of listened to the whole album, kind of enjoyed the music from there, and then went back and did a little bit of research and found that Peter Steele, who's the main writer of all this previously to being in a band or maybe simultaneously was also working in the forestry kind of industry. And so there's a little bit of a callback to, to that as well. So that was all very cool from there. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a good song. It definitely kind of brings some of that, that vibe into it. It definitely does have that kind of nature feel to it with a little bit of British invasion pop going towards the end. So that brings us, to Redwater Christmas Morning, and that is M-O-U-R-N Morning. So it's important to note that I've always hated Christmas Christmas music. From the time that I was a kid, hated, hated Christmas music. This is the song that turned me around on Christmas music. If I had to listen to a Christmas song, in fact, I remember buying this CD and turning it over and seeing, and even with it spelled the way that it is, thinking, uh, even if it's a joke song, I don't want to hear a Christmas song on this thing. But when I got to this song, it I caught me off guard in the sense that I really, really liked this song. I loved the idea of the main character in the song using Christmas as a way to think about the, the people who've died that they won't see anymore and just kind of twisting the entire idea of what a Christmas song is. Kelly, you know, we hate talking about stuff that we're involved in on this show and especially I really try not to ever but my band recently did a christmas song with which kelly appears on he is a part of that with us carries us through that song you could say that probably never would have happened all these years later if this song didn't give me some appreciation of christmas theme music in my notes a sentence i never thought i'd write spooky christmas interlude towards the end you know that's a combination of words i didn't expect but that's there the christmas morning you know morning versus beginning of day sadness very kind of cool i am a little troubled that he talks about his loved ones being six feet down directly underneath him because i don't think that's a sound burial concept to, to bury <laughs> your loved ones directly under your house but that's a different a different issue um black lights dead holly very very cool from there and whoa mistletoe another great band name and <laughs> tremendous lyric so super cool song i enjoyed it quite a bit and yeah. also on the research side of the equation Apparently, Peter Steele likes his wine, and so I'm assuming Redwater has a little bit of a callback to that as well. I I would assume so, yes. So that brings us to another single off the album, My Girlfriend's Girlfriend. Uh, There was also a music video for this, just slightly trimmed, because this is a song that clocks in at a more radio-friendly length. I don't know if that was something that they had in mind when they made this, but the album prior... So their first couple of records were not particularly commercial. The record that came out prior to this, though, which was called Bloody Kisses, had an unexpected radio hit on it, and that album ended up going platinum. So this was following up, you know, a huge commercial success in their career. So I don't know if they had that going in mind, like, hey... We need one song that's in the three to four minute range and has like a catchy beat and chorus to it. One thing that's worth noting, though, so I had sort of an unidyllic childhood and was raised in part by my grandparents. So the times that I was at my grandparents, of course, they were subjected to my music. My grandmother loved this song. So, Kelly, going through this album, what song do you think your mom or a mother figure in your life 
would have loved the most. For my grandmother was my girlfriend's girlfriend. I assume my grandmother was just super into three ways. But for you, Kelly, what would your mom have gravitated to on this? Hmm, I did not anticipate that question. I'm going to have to reflect for a moment <laughs> and look at the, the the rest of the album. I think mom would have gone for Cinnamon Girl a little bit later in the album from there, <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't think this is the song she would have selected. No. Uh, no, probably not. So you had shared with me a, a YouTube playlist with, with all these songs on it, which included the actual video for My Girlfriend's Girlfriend, which is a really kind of trippy 60s, very cool video to see. You should check it out. We'll, we'll include it in the blog post. We're as um, close as uh, Sweaty Velcro. <laughs> um, it's, I, I'm questioning the physics of that because I'm not sure... The strongest Velcro is Sweaty Velcro, but I'm going to let it, I'm going to give it a pass. This is a very fun song. It gave Be My Druidus a run for their money in terms of being my favorite song on the album. A very kind of cool song. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. The video is great. The lyrics are great on it. I enjoyed it, but I don't think my mom would have. She wasn't a big threesome song kind of like Not a big threesome. And there was, again, post listen, some research. It appears maybe this is a song about Someone wanting to up a triad to a whatever a quad ad would be. So the girlfriend's girlfriend's friend, maybe they're trying to bring in. So, I mean, good for them. <laughs> okay, so that takes us to Die With Me. So, like I said, this is an album that is sort of ballady. Maybe not in the traditional sense, but, you know, for them, a very ballad sort of centric record. This is one of the softer songs on the album. Big chunks of this song consist mainly of acoustic guitar and vocals. At the end of the track, though, there is a very heavily Black Sabbath inspired sort of jam with the band for the last like 40 seconds or so of the song. So definitely softer. And there were moments of more ballady, softer stuff throughout kind of running through this album in different places. Again, some very strong musical moments in here with or lyrical moments in here with jet fuel perfume that's pretty magical from there and then it starts soft and things are going on but it, as you mentioned then it kind of builds up to kind of some really powerful strings so i like i like this song i liked it as well that brings us to burnt flowers fallen so kelly's mentioned a couple of times the lyrics to this and i have made a suggestion of a possible lyric tattoo for kelly from this we're gonna get a lot more into lyrics a few songs from now but i would say lyrically this is the thinnest moment on the record as it is made up almost entirely of a single line repeated over and over again. But it's it's still fun and catchy. I, I still like this song. What did you think, sir? So we're aligned here pretty strongly in that, I mean, in terms of memorability, uh, lyrically, this falls short of a lot of the other stuff on this album because it is fairly repetitive and uh, musically sound, but probably going through the whole thing this would be my least favorite song on the album i could see that it's probably my least favorite as well so that brings us to the 10th track on the album in praise of bacchus so in thing again hate talking about anything i've been involved in but any reference to bacchus in anything that i've been involved in there's there's a few stem entirely from this song so in that sense i guess it was very influential on me and i really like the vocals and parts become very chant-like, almost like Gregorian chant-style <laughs> vocals, which I kind of liked in this. Very cool guitar on this song. And the, again, post-listen, post research, Peter Steele likes his line. <laughs> and that, that's kind of represented a little bit. But again, some major, some very, very cool lyrics again in that this idea of um, 
kind of uh, the melted oil painted Brooklyn Bridge. That's some super stuff. So I, I like the song. I think there's been some stronger stuff before it, but a good song. And it's got a Bacchus mention, so thumbs up to that. All right, so that brings us to Cinnamon Girl. This is a cover song from a little-known artist. Hold on, let me check my notes here. Uh, Neil Young. I don't know if you you ever heard of him, Kelly. Uh, Former member of Hanson, I believe. Yes, yes, I've heard of him. So uh, one of the things that Typo Negative is known for is that many of their albums have included a cover song, and they're known for their interesting selection of cover songs and their approach to them sometimes. Uh, So on the album prior to this, Bloody Kisses, which was, again, their, their sort of mainstream breakthrough album, they had covered Summer Breeze. <laughs> so... This this was another sort of interesting selection for them to take on. And after that, though, they started kind of going in different directions. Uh, they had covered a Black Sabbath song, but changed the lyrics a little bit so that the perspective of the characters in the song was shifted. So they started, you know, doing some tweaks and stuff to songs. But th- this was sort of an interesting cover because I had heard the Neil Young song before, but wasn't necessarily a fan of it so this gave me a different appreciation of the original yeah i love this as a cover i mean it's kind of neat when you get you know we've seen alice do it sometimes we've seen some other things go on where you get this kind of cover where they they take a song that was good but kind of elevated in a different way i thought they did that here and this had a music video for it as well yep and that was that's actually very cool to see as well maybe another blog post edition (laughs) okay so that brings us to the Glorious Liberation of the People's Technocratic Republic of Vinland by the Combined Forces of the United Territories of Europa, the shortest song on the album, <laughs> clocking in at just over a minute in length. There's not a lot going on here. It's more of a segue between tracks. Musically, it's heavier and probably, ironically, more in line with what a lot of people thought they were going to get on this record, which is why some people would choose Bloody Kisses over this as their favorite album. Although, like I said in the beginning, I would argue that this is the superior album. It's definitely musically, technically superior to Bloody Kisses, but it does lack this sort of heavier, doomy, echoey sound that the previous records had. You get a little bit of that on this one minute long song. So I came across this title <laughs> as I came into it which is actually longer than the song. I like it. I mean, it, it's it's instrumental. It's got a little almost of a country feel to it as well. It's very, very short. I feel to a degree you were setting me up because multiple times I have mentioned on various shows what I felt was the Blue Oyster Cult song, The Seas and Investiture of the Castle of Baird von Frankenstein at Wisseria, was one of the longest album titles ever, and this, like, doubles that. <laughs> and so there's that. It's a, it's a good little song, and it's kind of cool to have a title longer than the song itself. So I liked it. Yeah, it really does take, like, the length that the song takes just to read the title back. So that brings us to Wolf Moon, including Zodiac Paranoia. Hey there, Cobbler Run. <laughs> So Kelly, he may be, he may be busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be delicate, <laughs> as you are, as as I am known to be. As is uh, your want, as, as I want to be. So this is one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, for me, it probably comes down to this or my girlfriend's girlfriend. My girlfriend's girlfriend probably wins out mostly because it was hilarious to me that my grandmother liked that song. <laughs> um, but this is another one of my favorites on the album. So the song. <laughs> it's about a guy who turns into a werewolf after performing oral sex on a woman while she's having her period. So Kelly, <laughs> going into this album, 
is that subject matter that you thought was definitely going to come up on this? So I would declare that unanticipated. <laughs> and I made I made choices to concentrate on the werewolf-oriented messaging in the song versus some of the underlying thematics. So we do get lupine, we do get silver bullets, which I'd like to kind of mention. That's, they're there in that song. <laughs> and I'm going to concentrate on those. There's some major, major very cool guitar work on this song but yeah an, an interesting path shall we say for 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 this song but but we do get a silver bullets mention so i'd like to stress that right there are the werewolf elements exist in this song so kelly <laughs> <laughs> yes mike i'm not gonna ask the question but just a yes or no so that so that actually kind of indicates there is a question but go ahead <laughs> No, no, I feel like you know the question, though. <laughs> so, no, and we can move along. <laughs> See how delicate I'm being, though? Yeah, you're a delicate flower, Mike. Thank you. I am. See, our listeners would want to know the answer, but... <laughs> they got it. <laughs> right, and they got the an- And I did that in the nicest way possible. You're welcome. You're a prince among men. Right? So, just for anybody who wants to know, yes, tastes like copper. So, the next song... <laughs> is called haunted (laughs) there are a number of bands who were more commercially successful who cite it but still cite it lycia as a major influence on them and kelly and i have already discussed ionia from lycia as one of the prisoner exchanges typo negative is a band that has often or did often cite lycia as a major influence on them never before or after this to me was it so apparent as on this song i feel like this is a clearly lycia influence song they really wear that influence on their sleeve on this it has that cold echoey sound to it throughout it's also the longest track on the album cracking the 10 minute mark so i'm a little disappointed i hadn't made the lycia connection prior to this conversation but absolutely it's there very cool lyrical moments swollen sun like that quite a bit it's a very majestic kind of song and any song that kind of repeatedly mentions i hate the morning is going to speak to me in a significant way because I hate the morning as well. <laughs> and then in my notes, uh, I had cool spoken outro dot, dot, dot. Well, wait, that's not the outro because <laughs> it kind of continued on after that, but there's some kind of cool spoken stuff at the towards the tail end, not the absolute end, but towards the end. That's very, very cool. So this is a, this is a, one of the stronger songs on the album, in my opinion, very textured, very cool in a lot of ways. And absolutely harkens back to some Lycia nature. I'd heard this song prior to actually hearing Lycia. So I didn't know that this was something influenced by them, but I had seen interviews and read interviews with Typo Negative and a few other bands where they mentioned Lycia as an influence. So I knew that Lycia existed, but it wasn't until my study session with that young lady in high school that I'd heard them firsthand. So I didn't know how blatantly influenced they were on the song. I like this song a lot. And after this, there is one more track. It's another little spoken <laughs> word thing that gives you the effect of sort of the tape running out at the end of it of Peter Steele being abruptly cut off as a number of the songs do on this. Again, to emphasize the fact that they were trying to fill an entire CD. Any thoughts on that? Kind of a cool way to end the album. I, I think the kind of humor and kind of pulling people in they did at the very beginning and the end provides a nice continuity. So a very cool way to end the album. All right. So overall thoughts? So I think it's worth a listen. I think if you have not been familiar with this, you, should, you ought to go through. We can include 
uh, the link to the, the YouTube playlist that Mike gave me that will let you step through pretty quickly all of this as well. So super cool. So I, I recommend it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, sir. I feel like I handled Wolf Moon pretty well. Yeah, I, I had concerns. You did okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, though. And I'm glad this wasn't the one yet to, <laughs> to, uh, to lose you. It'll happen at some point for both of us, but not yet. So that's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, 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 uh,